Good morning. We are thankful that you are here. We are thankful for the good attendance that we have. We're thankful for the visitors that we have. I was looking around. I don't know how many true visitors we have. We have at least one I know up here, but there are several who are visiting with us who are uh, sort of regular visitors we see from time to time. We're thankful for your presence today. We're thankful for those who are able to be with us. As we say, uh, we try to be thankful quite often for those who are able to be back with us. It's good to see Miss Sybil up here that we prayed a lot for and, and others uh, who are not with us all the time because of their health but are, are here when they can, and we're, we're thankful for that. As we think this morning about God's Word for just a few moments, you know, very often the Bible is serious about physical locations. When we look back at the Old Testament in particular, we think about the fact that, that often there are physical locations that are mentioned that are of importance. We think about the history of the children of Israel. We think about Jerusalem being a place where the temple was. Jerusalem was a place where, where the people were supposed to go. It was a place they were to go to worship. It was a physical location that was important. And by the same token, in a way, we think about the tabernacle. The tabernacle was moving. It wasn't in one particular location all the time, but yet here was a place that the people were to go, a physical location they were to visit. I appreciate sometimes the study in the Old Testament of the different monuments or the different altars, if you will, that were set up. Set up. When they cross the Red Sea, when they go through different places, there are altars that are located there. And they say very often when those things are built that when we pass by this place, we will remember this physical location for what happened here. We still do that today in our lives. There, there's the old home place that some of us have, maybe where our, our parents or our grandparents were raised. Or, or there's the place where you got married or maybe you proposed to your wife or, or something like that. There are physical locations that are important. It's interesting when we consider God, though, as well, and, and the idea that even in the Old Testament there were people who in a physical sense tried to separate themselves from God. Of course, the one that we think of most often is Jonah, you know, literally trying to run away from God. And we see that that still happens again for us today. Very often sins are committed, we say, in the dark or at night because we feel like maybe we can, we can hide from God and, and we don't see him. He doesn't see us. And so we can separate physically from God. There's something else that we want to consider this morning as we think about the location of something or, or someone. And what we want to do as we begin is consider five examples from Scripture to begin. And maybe see if we see a, a picture or a pattern or an idea here of folks being in a particular physical location. Number one, and these are all going to be primarily from the book of Genesis. Number one, we think about Genesis chapter 3. The temptation and the fall of man. You see, we begin by thinking about Adam and Eve and that terrible occasion in which they sin. And once they sin, they're confronted by God and that discussion takes place. In verse number 24, the Bible records for us, So he, that's God, drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. We know the story of Adam and Eve. We know the beautiful creation that God makes. We know the fall that they have, the sin that enters into the world. And then most people know, although not everyone remembers exactly the wording, but what happens to Adam and Eve is they are cast out of the garden, and they are cast out of the garden to the east. 
We go forward, not very far, to Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 16. You see, we read in our Bible, it's maybe even the same page, it's a page over in mine, but we see sin enter into the world, and there's not this blissful period, there's not this enjoyment period, but very quickly sin begins to grab hold, because Adam and Eve sin, they're cast out of the garden to the east, and then we meet Cain and Abel. And of course we know at the end of verse number 4 that the Lord respected Abel and his offering, verse 5, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. So Cain commits the first murder, as we say, which takes place just after the first worship, takes the life of his brother Abel, and in verse number 16, it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Cain is expelled, he's punished, he has committed this sin, he is expelled from the presence of the Lord, and he goes east. We go forward again, this time Genesis chapter 11. We'll pass by the great flood that takes place there. But as Noah and his descendants exit from the ark and begin to live life to repopulate the earth, we begin in Genesis chapter 11 to, to read the great account of the Tower of Babel. And it says in verse number 1 of chapter 11, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. You recall the rest of the story. The people here speak among themselves. They decide to build this great tower. God recognizes what they are doing and sees that there may be some ulterior motives here, as we very often say. And so they go down in verse number 7 and confuse their language, and they are scattered in verse number 8 abroad over the face of of the earth and they ceased building the city you see people here we might say the families of the sons of Noah as you look back at chapter 10 of Genesis in verse number 32 the people move east in the direction of Babylon and they build the tower of Babel once again it may just be a page in your Bible but we move forward to Genesis chapter 13, one of the most well-known occasions of moving that takes place. One of the most well-known occasions of making a decision about what one is going to do. In that lot with Abram in verse number 11, Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan and Lot journeyed east and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But we know, verse number 13, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. There's actually two things we might point out here, both kind of involving Lot, but number one, that Lot divides from Abraham and takes, his, takes the best land that is toward the east. Not only that, but the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are in the east, and Lot pitches his tent toward their direction. Let's go a little bit further. We're going to cheat just a little bit for our purposes here for our lesson, but let's go over to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 10, because there's still one more interesting wording or occasion here. Numbers chapter 10 in verse number 5, as Israel has left as the children of Israel have left the land of Egypt, as they are journeying, 
Chapter 10 and verse number 5. When you sound the advance, the camps that lie on the east side shall then begin their journey. And we know moving forward through chapter 11 where the people complain. Chapters 13 and 14 where the spies are sent into Canaan and come back with the bad report. Chapter 14, Israel refuses to enter Canaan. And of course Moses has to intercede for the people. But even here in Numbers, Israel leaves Sinai and they move east. And of course they're going to shortly disobey God. And wander in the wilderness for 40 years. You see, we just listed about five things here. Adam and Eve, Cain, the families of the sons of Noah, the people at that time, Lot, and also the children of Israel. But it's interesting to see the pattern. When we read the book of Genesis, and again we cheated just a little bit to go over into Numbers. But it seems that in Genesis, when people go east, they leave the land of blessing... And they go where their hopes turn to ruin. Think about all those that we listed there. Are any of those usually found in the faithful and good categories? Adam and Eve. Of course, the fall of man. Cain killing Abel. The tower of Babel. Lot. And the troubles with Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, the punishment of the children of Israel for their disobedience to God. In Genesis, and even there in Numbers, it seems when people go east... They leave the land of blessing and go where their hopes end up turning into ruin. Now, I put the word east, as you see there in our slide, in quotation marks, because you would understand, I hope this morning, at least those of you as as adults of age would understand, there is nothing actually inherently evil with the east, right? In fact, we would consider ourselves to live in the east, wouldn't we? we? We live in the east of the United States of America, or the southeast. In fact, we might say that, but if you know anything about you know, world culture or the world, we have what we refer to as the Far East, and we're not there. You know, I think about my, my stepfather. He, he loves where he lives in West Tennessee, but if you ask him where he wanted to end up, he would say East Tennessee, where the beautiful mountains are and where the, the beautiful scenery is. So we would understand this morning with quotation marks that there is nothing inherently evil In living in the east, in fact, as we live on a globe, it's going to kind of be hard to ever hit the east if you think about it. But it seems in the Bible that when people go east, they are, in a sense, choosing a path that is going to be more difficult. And in fact, before we we move on a little further to think about maybe one distinct occasion where there's a little bit of difference... Let's think about people who are living in the East and what happened to these folks in particular. These are not going to be on the screen, but let's talk about a few of them and what we're aware of. Number one, Adam and Eve and Cain. They all turn from the Word of God. We might say, number one, that people living in the East, or as we say in our title of our lesson, lesson, living east of Eden, leaving the blessing and turning towards ruin, Adam and Eve and Cain all turn from the word of God. They all leave word of the Lord. Adam and Eve, a very specific command. You remember they are told not to eat. Very specific. And they do. And you remember that they were told that once they do, they would surely die. And what does the serpent say to them? Thou shalt not. Surely die. One little word, one little instance, but we see that's all it takes for them to turn away from the word of the Lord. 
A very specific command. What about Cain? Cain turns away from the word of the Lord and the God's design for worship. We don't have every bit, every single piece of information, maybe here that we would like to have, but we know that God respected Abel's offering and he did not have respect toward Cain's offering. So Cain turns from the word of the Lord in the sense of worship. What about the Tower of Babel, the families of the sons of Noah there? We see their pride in Genesis chapter 11. Do you recall that as they say, let us make these bricks. Let us build and make ourselves a city whose tower, whose top is in the heaven. Let us make a name for ourselves. They get too big for their britches, as we say here in the southeast. They think that they've got some pride amongst themselves, that they can build a tower. They can become as God in a sense. Their pride is going to be their downfall. But they're moving east, living in the east, seems to be connected here with their pride and what takes place as they move into that location. We think also about Lot. Lot, of course, is, is caught up in the earthly and the physical things, the things of this life. He seems to see the beautiful green pastures of one side and long for that. We might say having the best. And I ask you, as we begin to make a shift to think about ourselves, do you see humans today? Do you see mankind? Do you see you and me making choices just as they did? Choosing to not hear and obey the word of the Lord. Choosing to be prideful in our daily lives. Choosing to get caught up in the earthly and the physical things. Worried about all of these things here upon this earth rather than focusing upon God. And living by faith with him. And even as we think about and again begin to think about us. People who are as we might say for our purpose this morning. Living east of Eden. Are caught up in all of these things and much more. There's so many sinful ways in our world today. So many things that we can get caught up in. We've mentioned just a few from these particular examples of people who moved, again, quote-unquote, to the east. But what about us? Are we doomed, just as they are doomed, to live in the east and to get caught up in the sinful ways? And what we would suggest by way of our lesson this morning is that doesn't have to be the case. Because as we go forward through the Bible, there is one particular hope. And that is in a man that we call Job. And if you have your Bibles, you can be turning over to the book of Job. To the very beginning as we think about what takes place with Job. But we begin to notice in Job chapter 1 and verse number 3. Job 1 and verse number 3. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east you might say well if east is where all the bad things happen i don't want to be there that sounds like a sinful place and we don't need to live there but we would notice that job lived in the east and job was the greatest man of the east he is, gives us a sense of hope in God. He was a righteous man, even though he lives in the east. Notice verse 5. 
When, so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would sin and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. He suffers significantly here in the beginning of the book of Job, but yet he maintains his integrity. And I would submit to you this morning that Job's secret, the hope of living in the east and remaining faithful, is not in the wealth, although that is what is listed, but it's in his integrity. Job was probably, I cannot say for 100% certainty because we don't exactly read it this way, but I would almost have to believe that Job was known far and wide among the people of the East for who he was and what he did. The other parallel that we would oftentimes point to in the Old Testament, of course, is the man of Daniel who continued to pray, who those princes, those other governors knew. They knew just how to trap Daniel. They didn't have to debate. They didn't have to think about it. They were going to trap him concerning the laws of his God. They knew exactly what to do. And I would think that if someone, other humans here in the story of Job, were to try to take down Job, they would know just what to do as well. They would make a law that you couldn't offer burnt sacrifices. They would make a law that you couldn't pray. I don't know what it would be, but they would know exactly how to ensnare and trap Job because they would know just the kind of man that he is. When we think about chapter 2 and verse number 3, we see that once these awful, terrible things happen, even as Jerry prayed for us a moment ago, and we've already mentioned unspeakable tragedy that we think about today in this family that has been mentioned in our presence, we cannot imagine in some ways what Job was going through. But in verse number 3 of chapter 2, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And still, and still, you remember what happens before chapter 2, right? The losing of his property and his children, and still he holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without his cause. So what does Satan say in verse number 6? Excuse me, verse number 4. Skin for skin. And in verse number 9, his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. You see, for us this morning, there is still one hope, and that is Job. Because we have to say, we have to recognize today that in this type of, of thought process, with it not being actually evil to live in the East, but we must recognize that truly, in a way today, we are living east of Eden. We are living in a sinful world. We are living among people who constantly choose to do things that are against the word of God. So Job's secret is not his wealth. It's not his prosperity. It's not his titles. It's not his standing. It's not how much he has, but it's in his integrity. And if we are to live east of Eden, just as these folks did, we must strive to avoid what those others did, their choices, and we can take hope in Job. 
recognizing that he was the greatest and we can be the greatest. Four things very quickly, and the lesson will be yours. Number one, I would suggest if we are living east of Eden, we must strive to be a light. You know Matthew chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Matthew 5, 15 and 16. Nor do people light a lamp and hide it under a basket. The most ridiculous sounding thing we can think of. To turn on a light, but yet then, or a flashlight, but then hide it under something where no one can see it. It doesn't make sense. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, the closest I can come of, I'm sure some of you have seen it before, maybe on television or, or movies or things, but you think about a concert, maybe. A big arena full of people. Concert. And they turn all the lights out. And sometimes those in the audience would hold up their phones, of course, nowadays. And you think about it, the, the, the audience sometimes hold up their phones and they've got these lights and they're waving them. And it kind of looks really neat inside of there. But imagine a pitch dark place and one light on. And of course, as Christians, we think about being one light over here, but there being one more light over there and one more light over there. If we are living east of Eden, and I would say I think we are, we love this country it's got a lot of great things about it, but we live in a world of darkness. And if we are living east of Eden, we must continue to be a light, even when we feel outnumbered. We don't join the party just because it seems like there's a lot more around us. But regardless of our situation, whether we are here in this building, whether we are out there in the world, we choose to let our light shine. It's going to encourage us to continue to be faithful. It's going to encourage others to strive to be faithful. If we have to live in the darkness east of Eden, we need to be a light. Number two, we must sacrifice. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We already talked about this in our Bible class here in the auditorium this morning. I think our brother Joe brought it up as a part of our class. Romans 12, really beginning in verse number 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We must be sacrifices. We must sacrifice daily. And that's hard. I've said multiple times already, even from here, from this pulpit, I'm thankful that I don't have to get up here, or someone necessarily doesn't have to get up here each Sunday or each particular day and, and offer a blood sacrifice. We've got to go through all of that and have an animal and the blood everywhere and all of those things. But you know what? That's kind of easy in some ways for some people. It's harder to be a daily sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice, especially among the dark world around us. Folks, we're living east of Eden. We are living in a sinful place, and we must be a sacrifice daily. What is it that we then need to sacrifice? What is it that we then need to give up? If we're not... If we're not careful, then we often fall into the comfortable ways of this world. And we choose just to go along rather than to be different. But in connection, we might say, number three, that we also need to be transformed. From verse number two, we're to be a living sacrifice, a daily sacrifice, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, we're past spring. Spring is usually the time where we think about transformation, the transformation that takes place in this beautiful world, this beautiful part of the world that we live in. 
but we must be transformed. We usually point out this verse and we think about living, excuse me, living east of Eden. We think about the idea that we are in the world, but not of the world. You see, we talked about Lot a few months ago. We, we preached about Lot and his family. We talked about the idea that maybe Sodom and Gomorrah, the problem was that Sodom and Gomorrah was getting into Lot just a little bit too much. We're living in a sinful place. We must strive to be transformed. And then James chapter 4 and verse number 4, James 4, 4, we might say number 4, that we need to be a friend of God. James 4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We see all throughout the New Testament the very plainly painted picture of two choices. There's two choices in eternity. We don't get to choose at the end of our lives. We choose as we live now. But there are two choices. There are two choices here upon the earth. You can be a friend of the world or you can be a friend of God. If we are going to live east of Eden in this sinful place, we must be a friend of God. How do you act with your friends? Two things that come to mind very quickly. Number one, we spend time together. Do you spend time with God? Not just in Bible study, but also with his people. That's the wonderful thing, again, even as has been prayed for us already this morning and talked about that we have this church, this congregation of people that we can come together and encourage one another. Do you spend time with God? Do you spend time with God's people? But we think about our friends. Secondly, we talk to our friends, do we not? Had this conversation with a couple of folks uh, yesterday or the day before. We talked about the idea of how many Facebook friends we all have, right? I can think that maybe it's less than 2%, if not even 1%, of my Facebook friends that I actually talk to. Yeah, we are friends. We're not really friends. We don't talk. We don't communicate. If you're going to live in this sinful world, you need to be a friend of God. You need to spend time with God and with His Word, listening to Him. But communication is a two-way street, and we need to talk back to Him. Do you spend time in prayer? Are you a friend of God? When we think about Job, Job gives us hope and that we can live in the east. We have to, in this sense, live east of Eden because many of us don't get a choice where we live. This is where we've always been. This is where our family is. And I'll even tell you this, thinking about the globe concept again, it really doesn't matter where you go in this old world. You're going to find sinful, dark ways. So if we have to live in it, what are we going to do? Well, we can't get caught up in the wealth. We can't get caught up in the prestige and the title, titles and the number of friends that we have. But we must lean upon our integrity. In fact, it's interesting to note, when we think about our lives today, our hope is not found in a geographical location. Back to the idea again of the of physical east does not matter. It's not one particular geographical location that is holy but it's being found in Christ. It is in Christ where all spiritual blessings are found. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. It is in Christ where there is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. It is in Christ where salvation is found. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 10. Do you want spiritual blessings? 
Do you want no condemnation? Do you want salvation? Then you must be in Christ. You may not be able to get out of the physical east. You may not be able to get physically out of this old world of sin and death. But you can be found in Christ. Folks, it's very simple. We are living in this sense east of Eden. But we can strive to be the greatest. Living east of Eden in the Bible is an indication of sin and sinful living. However, there is hope. There is hope in the life of Job and there is hope even for us this day. That we would be a light, that we would be a friend of God, that we would sacrifice ourselves and transform ourselves daily to serve Him. It's disheartening sometimes in this life to read the news, to get on social media, to think about all the death, the sickness. It is disheartening to think about the world around us. But we can take hope that we can be the greatest as Job was and we can take hope in the home in heaven that we have if we would be a faithful child of God. And this morning as we conclude our lesson, we will sing this song of encouragement in just a moment to encourage you to be found in Christ. If you are here this morning and you are not a child of God, we will be singing to encourage you that you would be baptized for the remission of your sins. But even as we talked about again in our auditorium class for just a moment, we're not just about trying to make people wet. We want people to actually be transformed. We want people to be faithful. So if you want to know more about God's simple plan of salvation, we would study with you even this day to understand what it means to repent of sins, to confess Jesus as Lord. But this morning, if you are here and you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church, we will be singing to encourage you. Maybe you're here and you've done that. You are a child of God. You are a brother and sister in Christ. But you have found yourself to wandering away. You have enjoyed more living in the east, living sinfully, than living for God. We'll be singing to encourage you as well. We're thankful for God's second law of pardon, for the chance that we have to confess our sins, to repent of them, and pray for forgiveness that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. Each one of us, though, must make a decision. We're thankful for the opportunity to be assembled here together today to encourage you. As you think about your life, we have to live here. But do you need to make a change to either be in Christ or to be faithful to him once again? We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.